the heroes we love. Those wow moments. You ready? I'm here to save you. I don't want to be anyone but me. Hello, Governor. I'm back. Maybe you have to remember who you were to figure out who you want to be. Welcome back, heroes. New power. Ask your father about it. The two-hour premiere of Heroes. This Monday at 8, 7 central on NBC. Yes, Fall TV is back, and Heroes will be uh, premiering its fourth season tomorrow on NBC. This is Rico, and you're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi this week. Again, hopefully, or maybe for the first time, yes. This is uh, podcast 245, 245 of these things. Actually, a little more than that, but uh, who cares, really, you know. Anyway, today is September the 20th, 2009. This is going to be a really big show. I predict a long show. We're going to be covering the Alien uh, movie franchise, focusing mainly on the first two films, Alien and Aliens, uh, but uh, touching on the others a little bit as well, talking about the history, uh, some trivia, behind-the-scenes stuff, clips from the shows, and, and my, of course, comments on them and and uh, what I thought of uh, this great uh, movie franchise, which uh, you already know I, I like <laughs> since I said it was great. Yes, it, it, it is one of the greatest sci-fi kind of slash horror franchises, I think, in movie history. So we'll be talking about that on the show today and, and just a lot of more uh, stuff. We've got some great clips, too, uh, some comments about the Alien films from some listeners. Uh, we've got uh, a couple other things to talk about. Uh, hey, so let's get going. Welcome to the show again, everyone. This is Rico, and you're listening, of course, to Treks in Sci-Fi, the weekly Trek sci-fi fantasy podcast of all kinds of different things. And again, like I said at the beginning, I'm going to be covering the Alien movies uh, pretty much uh, for most of today's show. I'm not going to talk a lot about other things. I just want to kind of get into it. That Anyway, that song there is by a group called uh, Goldfrap, and it was used for the... 
relaunch promo trailers for the SYFY Sci-Fi channel. I really like that song. I love the promo that they did for it, and I thought it kind of fits uh, the podcast pretty well in a way. And I might use that a few times as our opening uh, music for the show. I, I enjoy it quite a bit. So... Uh, let's see what's been going on with uh, with me. Uh, about the usual, I guess. Uh, went and visited my both my sons up at Michigan State yesterday, which was fun. Uh, the weather here in Michigan is still pretty good, although I'm kind of a little congested again. I, I know I say, say that sometimes when I start these shows, and it it doesn't seem like it comes through when I listen to them later very much. But uh, I'm feeling okay. It's just kind of there, I guess. Uh, I don't know what it is. Uh, I feel good, but uh, and I'm getting the podcast kind of started later today. It's already like one o'clock or so here in Michigan, which I'm usually recording by. Usually, most of the time on Sundays, nine or ten in the morning. But uh, one of the troubles is, is I didn't have time yesterday to prep for this alien show, and I spent uh, a fair amount of time this morning gathering some clips, uh, going over some background that I wanted to cover, and 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 jotting down some few few notes and things, and getting all the stuff set uh, to talk about those uh, movies so I did that uh, for the first first uh, few hours this morning so uh, anyway uh, what do we want to cover before we get into the alien comments and uh, movies and discussion I, I do want to say I started a, um, a members only contest and I want to get that out of the way because I don't want to forget about doing it but uh, this was a forum members only contest that was announced uh, on the forum of I guess about a week or so ago, it was, it's to win another uh, uh, downloadable uh, version of this cool documentary with William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy called Mind Meld. And uh, this was, again, available to forum members only. So if you're not a member of the Treks and Sci-Fi forums, just go over to treksandsci-fi.com and sign up. Uh, we have a great group there. Always have some interesting discussions going on and Lots of uh, fun on that site, and I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, anyway, I've got a list of names here, uh, people that uh, entered this contest to win this downloadable version of this documentary. And I've got my little handy uh, die, 20-sided die, which actually I don't need all 20 sides. But if I get uh, one that doesn't come up of one of the names I've got on my piece of paper here, then I will just roll it again. So anyway, without any further ado, let's see what we get. Number, no, that one's too high. i got to roll it one more time. All right, number five. Number five is, oh, number five is Rick Moyer. Rick entered the contest uh, actually not too long ago, I think just yesterday or so. Uh, didn't get a lot of entries, but anyway, Rick, you are the winner of this Mind Meld downloadable uh, uh, content, I guess you call it. It's via iTunes. I, um, I'm sorry that, you know, we do have a lot of people from the UK and I think even Canada have trouble with this, but, uh, this was, uh, a place, uh, offered these, uh, downloads. We gave away one when I did the anniversary show, I believe. And then this is the second, I've got one more and we'll probably have another contest maybe on next weekend's podcast. I'll talk about it or announce it. Or just stay tuned to treksandsci-fi.com for more details. Anyway, Rick, uh, just shoot me an email, remind me, and I'll get you the information to get your uh, downloadable version of Mind Meld. What's going on with the latest Star Trek movie? Let's find out. Wait a we go. Well, the Star Trek movie is still showing in some 
excuse me, th- theaters around town uh, here in Michigan, not a, a lot, and still in IMAX a little bit too. Uh, I think in some places it's mostly pretty much gone. I mean, it is now September. It came out in May, so uh, and it will be out in November, of course, on a DVD and Blu-ray, uh, which is is kind of a long time these days. I noticed Wolverine just came out the other day on on DVD. And that came out just a week, right? I think it was a week before Star Trek at the theater. So uh, Trek is is taking a little longer. And I, and I think that's just because it's had a pretty long run in the theaters to come out. And sometimes it's all timing. You know, sometimes they want to have things come out closer to Christmas, get people to buy them. And there are some pretty cool gift sets with uh, Trek uh, via Amazon and uh, Best Buy. Both have some special gift sets uh, that you can get. Uh, one of them has a pewter version of the Enterprise, that is, I believe, the Amazon.com gift set. I think that's around 100 and that's, I think, maybe with just the Blu-ray edition. And then there's a DVD Best Buy special gift set that comes with uh, metal versions and pewter or something like that uh, of the COM-type badges. They're not really COM badges uh, in the Star Trek movie, but, you know, the insignias that they uh, they use uh, on their uniform uh, shirts. Uh, all of those, or four of them, I believe, uh, you get with that Best Buy set, which that's probably the one I'm going to get, I think, maybe. I'm, I'm not really sure yet, but that is coming out uh, in November. What I really wanted to point out about the movie, though, there has been kind of some little bit of talk about uh, the guys um, working on the next uh, film and the script. And they said they've just had a few, of course, very brief meetings. They are kind of saying right now that they want to keep uh, the next movie having... Some kind of, you know, in a way, a message uh, and relate it to sort of current uh, issues and things going on in the world today. You know, Star Trek has always, uh, since it started in the 60s, been very reflective of the times uh, that it is produced in. If you go back especially to the original series, uh, you know, that was going on during, uh, you know, certain problems in society, you know, race riots and the Vietnam War and, and, and just the subjects and things, you know, even women's issues, those kinds of things come up. Whatever happens to be kind of going on in the world seems to bleed over and blend into Trek. You know, Gene Roddenberry always tried to do that with the original series because it was his way of sort of slipping in certain messages he was trying to pass about you know, being equal, you know, all people being equal and, and having equal rights. And it just, it, it was, you know, the science fiction wrapper around uh, a way to bring out uh, these things on television, which if you just come out and said them, they probably wouldn't uh, be accepted by the networks a lot of times. So uh, with all that, uh, and then even the continuing series, TNG, you know, TNG, I don't think it came up as much. It, it does come up, but... TNG was was produced at a time where, you know, basically, especially in the United States where it was made, uh, things were in pretty good shape. So <laughs> it, it you know, there were issues and concepts that were that came into that show. But I think on the most part, it was kind of, uh, you know, everyone was pretty OK and happy. Uh, and then Deep Space Nine got things a little darker when it was done in the 90s. And then Voyager, kind of a little bit of both. Uh, and then Enterprise, I think, was, you know, fairly gritty. And that got into the times of, you know, when the when the country here in the U.S. and, and even the world in general started to kind of, you know, have some more difficulties. So anyway, the next film, they are hoping to try to pull some of that into the movie. And I, I think that's a good idea. I hope that 
they're able to do that. I, I'd like to see the crew and the cast. Uh, I'd like to see the characters struggle with some of these concepts. I, I would expect maybe something involving the Prime Directive to be, you know, that was always a big issue on the original series, and, and they didn't have to do that too much in this latest movie. But, you know, the idea that maybe the, you know, the Enterprise and the crew runs into some planet and maybe things are kind of not really the best. And, and, you know, Kirk has to, of course, struggle again with the Prime Directive without, you know, he can't just jump in there and tell them to do this and do that. So uh, the writers, again, are trying to pull in some current day issues into the next film and rather just being a big here's the bad guy. Let's let's blast him before he blasts us kind of story. And. I I have a lot, a lot of confidence, of course, after especially seeing the last movie and the guys working on this one. They're the same writing team. J.J. Abrams is still, you know, very much entrenched in the production of this next one. Uh, whether he'll direct it or not, we don't know yet. But, it, again, it uh, is in good hands. So I, I, I trust these guys, and I think it, they'll do a good job with the next script. And I, and I hope that they, you know, this time... They don't have to deal with all the characters and getting everyone back into the ship and getting things started. Boom, they'll be able to just kind of get right into things. And that'll make um, them, uh, you know, free them up for a much bigger story in a way and a more complicated one, perhaps. So we will see how things go. And, of course, we'll keep everyone up to date on the podcast about the next Trek film here on Treks and Sci-Fi. No. Come on. (laughs) Pretend I'm not, like we're gonna sing. It. I'm not singing. We're not. No, I'm not singing. We can record it, and you could say that right there, and that would be funny. I know that's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> I'm creating comedy. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to You're create comedy. Sing. Yes. Well, no, I'm trying to create comedy like right now. I know. That's, As we that's speak. funny. <laughs> that's funny. I'm helping you create comedy. This is Angela, <laughs> and this is Jen. We're from the Anomaly Podcast. You're listening to Rico on Treks and Sci-Fi. <laughs> Look who survived the frozen tundra. I don't know what Arctic expedition you guys were on, but I thought it was a hoot and a half. And what happened at the North Pole isn't going to stay at the North Pole. So we slept together naked. Plus, a moment 14 billion years in the making. <laughs> the Big Bang Theory season premiere Monday, September 21st, only CBS. And yes, The Big Bang Theory is back tomorrow as well as Heroes, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, Just lots of great new uh, TV coming back uh, this week. Uh, We've got uh, also the season finale of Warehouse 13 on the Sci-Fi channel. The season finale of Eureka on that channel just was a couple of days ago. Uh, Just all kinds of great stuff to watch. Smallville will be uh, on Friday nights this year uh, on the WB. That's coming back uh, for season, what is it, nine? (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, season nine. Clark Kent, still not Superman yet, but uh, it's still a good show. I enjoy it a lot. That'll be on Friday, uh, and just amazing stuff. And even non-sci-fi things like uh, I enjoy the TV show House. Uh, that's back tomorrow. There's actually so much on Mondays. Uh, I am uh, kind of sad Chuck isn't back yet. Uh, I hear that's coming later this year or even early next year when that'll be back. But Monday we'll have uh, I'll, I'll have a lot of stuff to watch, plenty of things to watch on Monday, even without that not being on Monday's schedule right now. So... 
Uh, just check your local listings uh, if you're into this kind of stuff and a lot of cool TV. Uh, this is going to be a great week to uh, to be watching. And let's switch now. Let's get into Aliens. And uh, I think what I'll do is I'll start off, I'll play the uh, trailer to the first film, and that'll kind of segue us into uh, talking about the first Alien movie from 1979, 30 years ago. Here it is, the trailer to Alien. Right. The movie Alien is uh, just a classic in, in sci-fi history and horror, I guess, both. Uh, and, you know, it's such a kind of a daunting task to take on both this film and the other ones in the series for a, a you know, hour and a half-ish podcast. But I will do my best, as I always try to. This film was originally released in 1979. And, you know, to put it in a little perspective, it uh, was released by 20th Century Fox, who had you know, such huge success two years before this film came out uh, with Star Wars that you know, they were looking for an, another big summer blockbuster movie. And you know, the Star Wars movie and probably Jaws in 75 really were very uh, you know, instrumental and started the whole trend of these monster huge blockbuster films coming out in like may of each year for the summer uh movie going audience and alien continued this trend again coming out uh, over like memorial day weekend in 79 the movie is uh only was uh, budgeted at about 11 million originally the budget was about half that but when they started to see some of the early work on it, the uh, the studio decided to double their budget, so they got about $11 million. Of course, the director, uh, a very famous director now, and not nearly as famous at this point in time, Ridley Scott, uh, who did this movie and just went on to have a you know a great film career in directing. His uh, Many of his kind of trademark uh, stamps are all over this movie, and I'll talk about those as I go. The cast is really now just even more famous, of obviously, than they were at the time. And I think that, 
you know, a lot of movies from the past 20, 30 years ago, if you look at the cast in them, one of the reasons you'll notice, and, and, and this, this happens quite a bit, if you look back at some movies that are super popular that did well and are still watched today and, and, and kind of revered and, and considered classic, Star Wars is an example, of course, Jaws, Alien, and the list goes on. I've covered the Back of the Future movies. But look at the cast in these films, and look at the cast in Alien. Sigourney Weaver, Tom Skerritt, Veronica Cartwright, Harry Dean Stanton, John Hurt, Ian Holm, Yafit Kato. I mean, there's just every one of these actors has had a great success, and it's it's really just shows how much casting for a film is key to how well it does. I mean, I mean, you got to have a great story, you got to have a great plot. And you know, well, a well-done movie, but the cast is is a big part of it. And I kind of predict now that I think we've seen the same thing happen with the latest Star Trek movie. You know, the young cast that they they picked to, uh, and I think J.J. Abrams is really good at picking ca- uh, cast people or casting people for his projects. I, I definitely predict that just about everybody in that latest Star Trek movie is going to have a great long career in film and, and you know, TV, movies, and so forth. And uh, I think you'll see, again, you know, with when we look at movies from the past, it, that is a big factor and I think an important part to, uh, to talk about and, and mention. Of course, the... The basic plot of this, it was written by uh, a couple of guys, Dan O'Bannon and Ron Shusett, uh, were mainly the guys that came up with the story. A few other people, Walter Hill, who's a pretty famous movie guy, director, worked on it a little bit. Another another guy named Dan Giller. Dan O'Bannon, though, is uh, somebody who worked on a lot of uh, sci-fi type projects over the years. I, I've read a lot about him in Starlog magazine and different places. His movie, uh, a few years, about four years before Alien, a movie that some people probably don't know about that are listening. There's a movie called Dark Star, which is a really good movie, but it's it's very. Keep in mind, it's science fiction, and it's called Dark Star, but it's fairly low budget. It, it, it's a really good book to read, actually. Too, uh, I've got the book and I've read it. But if you ever get a chance, you know, hop on Netflix or wherever you rent your films from and check out Dark Star. It's a it's a really interesting movie. Again, don't expect the kind of budget and effects and things you see in Alien, but check it out. But anyway, Dan O'Bannon didn't have a very pleasant experience on that film. So uh, when this uh, project came along, which was originally titled Star Beast uh, instead of Alien, which, you know, Star Beast sounds kind of schlocky if you ask me. Alien just has, a, you know, it's just it's just short. It's 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 proper for for what the movie is. And, and it fits so well uh, that I, I can't even imagine using Star Beast or any other title for it. Um, Let's go back to the cast a little bit, and then I'm going to play a clip and kind of try to blend the clips in with the discussion. Uh, obviously, Sigourney Weaver is, is, you know, carries this movie to a great degree, and you know, and is a very strong female uh, lead. And uh, you know, a few interesting facts about that. Uh, originally, it wasn't going to be her in the lead. Uh, Veronica Cartwright, who who plays the other female crew uh, person on the, who's Lambert uh, in the movie, she was actually going to be Ripley. Veronica Cartwright was going to play Ripley to begin with, and uh, but eventually, with more screen tests and decision making and all of that, it went to Sigourney Weaver. And again, it's very difficult to uh, imagine anyone else. You know, if Sigourney is a very she's fairly tall. She has a certain presence, I think, to her, especially in this movie and a lot of other projects she's done. 
that fits the character Ripley very well. You can take her seriously. Uh, and uh, the interesting fact about it, and, and with a few characters in this movie and in other projects even Sigourney's been involved with, the if you notice the character names in this film, they're all kind of just mentioned their last names. They're like Dallas, Brett, Ripley, Lambert, and all that, uh, Ash. They're they're generic kind of names. They're not male or female, really. They're just last names. They don't mean a lot. Parker, Kane. Uh, and they did that on purpose because at the time they were trying to decide, well, who was going to be male, who was going to be female. And Ripley originally was going to be a male character. They wanted a male in the lead. And then, you know, they started looking at actors and casting. And eventually what, you know, what we got for Alien is the way it worked out. And again, it's difficult to imagine it being different, you know, a, a male actor playing uh, Ripley, I, I don't think it just would have been quite the same. You know, this gets continued a little bit, I think, even more so and more important in the next movie in Aliens, and I'll talk about that when I get to it. Uh, I saw this movie, of course, when it came out in the theater. Uh, loved it. Uh, it scared the. You know, this movie has got so much. Is so well done. The camera work. The uh, the suspense is built up. You don't see the alien real closely for a good part of the movie, almost the whole thing until really the end, I think. Uh, and, and that just adds to it uh, and adds to the suspense. And uh, these people trapped on this ship with this alien is just the, such a cool concept. And it seems so simple in a way right now to us, you know, the, the you know generations later in a way or 30 years later. But... At the time, again, it, it was just so um, perfect. And the music, it really fits it well, too. And I'll talk some more about that music by uh, Jerry Goldsmith. It's subtle, and then it gets loud, and it, it's, it's very eerie in, in places. Although he wasn't happy exactly with Ridley, Scar Ridley, Ridley Scott sorry, uh, and the way he handled the music in the movie a little bit. So uh, let's play a clip from the film early, in, early on in Alien. I am cold. Still with us, Brett. Right. Yeah. Oh, I feel dead. Anybody ever tell you you look dead? <laughs> oh, yeah, right. I just forgot something, man. Uh, before we dock, I think we ought to discuss the bonus situation. Right. Brett and right. I, we think we ought to, we deserve full shares, right, right baby? You see, Mr. Park and I feel that the bonus situation has never been on a, an equitable level. Well... You get what you contracted for, like everybody else. Yes, but everybody else uh, gets more than us. Oh, his mother wants to talk to you. Uh, yes, uh, the other lights from my eyes only. Okay, get dressed, huh? Parker? Go on. Can I finish my coffee? It's the only thing good on this ship. Yeah, that's uh, when they're waking up aboard the Nostromo, their uh, their commercial towing ship uh, out in space. The all the uh, characters are there, kind of eating and kind of waking up after their deep sleep, uh, deep sleep. <laughs> the uh, I like how you just kind of get into this movie. They don't show you and do a lot of explanation at first. You just kind of you're almost like a little fly on the wall. And I like the way Ridley Scott did that. You know, there's. You learn things uh, as you go throughout the film, what these characters are like, what they're all about, uh, the, the differences in them. You know, some of them are out kind of just for the money and some of them for other reasons they're there. Uh, but again, I, I, I like that aspect of the film that you don't get really a clear cut like this is this guy, this is this guy, this is this guy, uh, you know, handed to you. And you got to learn a little bit as you go. 
And, of course, this takes them, they receive a signal, uh, they find this derelict alien spacecraft, and that's where things, of course, really get rolling. Wait a minute, there's movement. Seems to have life. Organic life. Yeah, I don't know if you get the same impact when you don't see these scenes in, in some of the clips that I'm going to be playing for you. But if you know this movie, you know uh, what happened there. You know, when um, John Hurt's character uh, discovers that egg, uh, they made like about 100 or more, 130, I think it was, I've got here written down, different um, or eggs for that big scene where they show them all in that sort of hatchery area uh, when they go to explore that derelict ship. Uh, and I've got to mention, I guess now, and, and this is pretty well known, but uh, the uh, the guy that created a lot of the concepts for the look of the alien, the the, the whole just sort of organic slash mechanical uh, look is the best way to put it. The the uh, the guy H R Geiger uh, created uh, these amazing images uh, for this film, and there's an interesting story about him. I guess he was coming into L.A. Uh, through the airport, and he had uh, these sketches and things for the movie with him at the time. And uh, they they actually, at the airport, held him up. And uh, they they didn't know what all this uh, artwork was for. They, they thought there was some kind of shady business or something going on with these crazy drawings this guy, this German guy, comes in uh, to the country with. So they uh, they they held him there until one of the guys from the uh, the production of the of the movie came down and, and and kind of cleared things up and said no these are just for this this space horror movie that we're working on and, and yes he's not some nutcase or whatever doing something dangerous or bad so I thought that was kind of interesting it just shows how how dramatic and and what kind of an impact just his his images for this movie that he created came up with like that uh, space jockey kind of guy that they see when they go into that derelict ship uh that thing was uh, like 26 feet tall that they had to make when they did the film uh the another nice thing about this movie and it, it's true with a lot of movies from you know anytime you go back more than like 10 15 years you know this this is not CGI. Nothing in this movie, I don't think, is. It's all created either post production and in, in, in video and you know editing and post processing effects, which you know were done for Star Wars and those movies and a lot of movies prior to CGI. But there's so much of this movie that's done uh, physically right there on the the stage, you know, organically things that are built, manufactured, and happen right there for the camera to pick up. And it, it just to me it makes it so much more intense and real uh, that it, it just it you know makes cgi kind of movies just kind of lose some of their impact and i i, I kind of miss those days i i know some filmmakers are still trying to do as much as they can on on camera on sets rather than you know hey we'll just add this 
you know, crazy alien jumping out at you later on, and you just kind of jump back and pretend he's there, but he's not really there. They made, um, speaking of that, they made three different um, alien uh, kind of suits for this movie. Well, actually, two were suits, and one was kind of a, a model that they would move around for it. And uh, they found a guy who was like seven feet tall, uh, somebody for an African gentleman, I believe, who wore uh, the suit, uh, one of the suits, and then they had a, a regular stuntman, uh, stuntman who was in the other suit for some of the more intense scenes in the Alien uh, movie, which, uh, again, uh, something there that they could react to, I think, just gets the actors uh, such a better uh, way of reacting to what's going on. For example, the cat, you know, you see this cat, uh, I think he's called Jonesy, is that what it is, Jones? the cat uh, in this movie hissing and stuff several times uh, and reacting to something. And you know how they did that? It was, uh, they had a uh, poor kitty, but <laughs> they, they put a piece of glass up kind of in front of the cat. And then they brought in a German shepherd dog and had the German shepherd kind of hidden behind a, uh, uh, like a cardboard or something to block the cat's view. And then they would bring the, pull it, pull that away and then the cat all of a sudden would be seeing this dog just inches away from it. And, and of course, it would, it would rear back and, and hiss at the dog. And that was the way they got the, re, the, the cats in the movie to react to the alien, you know, popping out here and there. So I thought that was kind of interesting in the way they did that. What's it got down his throat? I would suggest it's feeding him oxygen. Paralyzes him, puts him in a coma. Keeps him alive. Now, what the hell is that? Well, we gotta get it off him. Just a minute. Just a minute. I mean, let's not be too hasty. We don't know anything about it. Now, we're assuming it's feeding him oxygen. If we remove it, could kill him. I'm willing to take that chance. Let's cut it off him now. You take responsibility? Yes, yes, I'll take the responsibility now. Get him out of here. So, of course, they're uh, in that last clip, they're going to try to take off that face hugger, as it's called, uh, off of uh, John Hurt's character. And uh, it doesn't go very well. You know, they cut into it and that acid blood, you know, drips down through the ship, a very dramatic scene where they're trying to stop it from poking a hole through their through the Nostromo all the way. It's the thing I like about the way the face hugger looks in this and and other effects and things in this movie, things with Ash, the the uh, synthetic uh, that they have with them, the android type character. There, there's so much uh, organicness to this movie, and, and you know they used a lot of like real like stuff. It wasn't just plastic and and fake things. You know when uh, the next clip uh, that I'm going to play for you here in a second or two. Uh, was is probably considered one of the you know the biggest most horrific dramatic uh, uh, clips and scenes in movie history, and they used a lot of real blood and guts for this scene. So uh, here, let me play this one for you, and I'll come back and talk about it some more. <laughs> Get out of here. 
Yeah, so the classic chest burster uh, scene there uh, where, the, you know, the creature bursts out of... Uh, Oh, what's John Hurt's character again? I'll have to look that up when I take the next uh, clip break here. But anyway, he he's you know wrestling around. He's the one that had the face hu hugger on him, and uh, then all of a sudden this you know the creature pops out of his. And on the first time I saw that, I, I was just so like just shocked. And you know when you watch the scene again, his hands are twitching even after the creatures burst through, and he's still kind of like maybe partly alive for a little while. It's just so raw and intense. I, and, I, and the story is, and from what I'm reading and, and looking up on this, is that most of the cast really didn't know what was going to happen. Of course, John Hurt had to know because he had to be rigged up with all of this. And and then, uh, you know, the, the, the rest of the cast, especially Veronica Cartwright in that scene, she gets blood spattered on her. And they used a lot of real, like, animal blood and guts and things in that, in that particular scene. And, and it's splatting around, and it looks so visceral and real. It's, it's just... One of the most intense, just craziest scenes ever, I think, in movie history. And again, I think a lot of that has to do with Ridley Scott and how he handled it. It was done in one take, one take with just four cameras in different positions. And, and again, the reactions of everyone are just so real. Again, you got to really hand it to Ridley and what he did there with that particular scene. Come on, anybody's saying nothing. I'm this thinking. Place. Unless somebody has got a better idea, we'll proceed with Dallas's plan. What? And then don't blame the others? Oh, no, you're out of your mind. You got a better idea? Yes. I say that we abandon the ship. We get the shuttle and just get the hell out of here. We take our chances and just hope that somebody Lambert, picks us up. The shuttle won't take four. Well, then why don't we draw straws? I'm not going any straws. I'm for killing that goddamn thing right now. Okay. Well, let's talk about killing it. We know it's using the air shafts. Will you listen to me, Parker? Shut up! Let's hear it. Let's hear it. It's using the air shafts. We don't know That's that. That's the only way. We'll move in pairs. We'll go step by step and cut off every bulkhead and every vent until we have it cornered, and then we'll blow it the fuck out into space. Is that acceptable to you? It means killing it. Obviously, it means killing it. But we have to stick together. There's uh, a lot of dialogue in this movie from what I've read and, and researched that was just kind of Im improvised. And, and I think that really shows in that scene. And, you know, there's a lot of non-dialogue parts of this. There's a lot of action, of course. They're hunting down the alien, trying to find it. People are getting picked off. But when you do get these scenes like that last one where they are discussing things and that, you can tell it's they're, they're, they're very much just kind of reacting to what's going on. Everyone's getting a little more crazy. They don't know what's going to happen next. And, and there's a real kind of paranoia that's starting to set in. And it just, again, just shows how great this movie is and how well it still continues to, you know, be great and holds up to this day. 
The uh, the one aspect I didn't kind of mention yet, uh, well, there's a lot of things I haven't said, you know, related to this. There's so much you could talk about. I could do multiple podcasts just on this one movie, but I do want to talk about the other ones in the series, too. Uh, is this whole sort of side thing where Earth is kind of uh, working with, the, you know, the android uh, or the uh, synthetic uh, human, Ash, and they're trying to actually keep this creature alive and use it for their own kind of purposes and you know there's that whole subtext going on with the uh the computer and mother and when uh sigourney's character when ripley discovers that they've got this synthetic that's kind of working against them to keep the alien alive they think it's this you know amazing creature and they want to study it or whatever uh who cares whatever happens to the rest of the crew that they're expendable uh, that little whole subtext of the film, and you don't find it out, you know, until near the end. It is it really kind of works, I think, very well, and it fits and it makes sense, and it just shows again how desperate things are and how how nasty, you know, the situation is, and how you know really even Ripley's character, who just is this part of the crew, no one's special, it seems like, but has to kind of rise up and, and take charge. When uh, the other characters and the captain and Dallas and all the other ones slowly get picked off one by one, and, and, and she's uh, finally left at the end to uh, to kill this this you know just basically killing machine that's almost an unstoppable force of nature in a way, and she has to take it out. Final report of the commercial starship Nostromo. Third officer reporting. The other members of the crew. Kane, Lambert, Parker, Brett, Ash, and Captain Dallas are dead. Cargo and ship destroyed. I should reach the frontier in about six weeks. With a little luck, the network will pick me up. This is Ripley, last survivor of the Nostromo. Signing off. Yeah, there are uh, quite a few uh, cut scenes that, that weren't uh, included in this movie. The original, actually, first rough cut of the film lasted like uh, three hours and like 15 minutes or so. So they really had to trim it down quite a bit. There's one uh, c- real classic scene that's always been talked about. There's this called uh, the cocoon scene for Alien, where uh, I think it's Dallas and Brett uh, that Ripley finds kind of webbed or cocooned up in this area uh, aboard the Nostromo, and you know they're, you know, one of them's pretty much gone. Dallas is kind of begging her to kill him, and uh, she does, of course. She's got the flamethrower thingy and uh, kills them, burns that whole area up. So they they cut that. There's a lot of other scenes. There's some there. Um, there was a bit more of a relationship supposedly too between Dallas. Uh, between Captain Dallas and Ripley's character, there was even going to be a proposed uh, sex scene between the two of them to show them that they were kind of close. And th- that would have, you know, if they had that scene plus the scene where she has to kind of burn him up and, to, you know, he's pretty much gone anyway, uh, would have, you know, maybe added a little more intensity. But, of course, it was maybe not all that important or integral to the story itself. So, and then Ailey, or uh, excuse me, um, Ripley, you know, 
eventually, of course, saves uh, herself, pull, gets onto the um, the shuttle thing, and takes off blowing the alien out the airlock, uh, which is about the only way you could kill this one. Unlike in Aliens, which is the next film, where they're killing aliens right and left uh, with the Marine Corps and James Cameron uh, in charge of that one. But uh, I want to, uh, before we get to that, and I'll talk aliens uh, here in a moment or two, I'm going to sprinkle in uh, listener comments about Alien and the whole Alien franchise uh, series of movies throughout, because we have about four or five to play, and I don't want to just crash them or bang them. Crash them or bang them? What am I talking about? Put them all at the very end of the podcast. I want to sprinkle them throughout. So here's uh, the first one. Uh, This is from my friend Mark about the Alien movies. Okay. Um, Alien, the Alien franchise. Um, I'm dating myself a bit here, but the first movie came out the year I graduated from high school, and I was almost 19. Up till that time, I don't remember ever seeing any R-rated movies. I think that might have been my first one. Um, And I I did see the uh, commercials that in space no one can hear you scream. And I was hanging out with some friends who wanted to go see the movie, and they convinced me that it was just a, you know, just a scary sci-fi movie, kind of like uh, Forbidden Planet or something like that. Well, little did I know. The movie starts, and they get to the planet with all the eggs, and I pretty much leaped out of my seat. Um, as if that wasn't bad enough, then came, what, about a little while later was that dinner scene. Uh, that was <laughs> that was pretty horrifying. I really didn't, I don't think I slept a wink that night, and probably for a few nights afterwards. Um, I still consider... Uh, the franchise, at least the first two movies, the first movie especially, probably to be one of the most scariest movies I think I've ever seen, and it's ever made. Um, so now we flash forward to about seven years later, in 1986. Uh, by that time, I had seen my fair share of scary movies. Uh, when Aliens came out, and I thought, oh, this is going to be great, you know, it's going to be payback time. Um, Rico and I saw it, uh, you remember, we, I think we saw it in the old Americana Theater uh, on the Southfield. And it was it was great. It was just it was so much fun. Um, the uh, Wrath of Khan, the you know just kind of relating back to this movie, James Horner had written the music for that. And so when we went to see Aliens, I was thinking this music is awfully familiar. And it turns out it was the exact same guy. He wrote I think he just kind of almost lifted it right off of Wrath of Khan. But um, it was so nice to see these things finally die. The one of the, I mean, the highlight of the entire, at least first two movies for me. Three and four were okay. Uh, Sigourney Weaver was just fantastic. I mean, I can't imagine anyone uh, having done this better than her. Um, you know, the first two movies especially, it was just, it was really great. And I, that might have been one of the very first times that I've ever seen her on the screen. Um, but on a final note, um, these scientist types are going to be the death of us all. They find a life form with acid for blood and that uses humans as incubators. Yeah, let's study these things. Ah, uh, scientists, what do they know anyway? <laughs> well, thanks for your great comments, Mark. That uh, really brings me back uh, quite a bit, too. And, and you know, that's it, why it's fun to do these kind of uh, talk about these movies, even though to us and, and to myself, they don't seem all that old, but uh, it, it, it's just. I hate to say the line, you know, that they don't make them like this anymore. But, you know, in a way they don't somewhat. And maybe I've just become a little more immune to to the scares and the thrills or whatever. Now it's all about 
you know, saw five, saw six, you know, or whatever. And people, and it, it, it's just, they, you know, I, I, if I was teaching a film school class, this would be, you know, these would be the kind of movies that I'd pull out and say, study this, don't copy it, but, but see the way he builds the suspense, see the way the movie is, is structured. Just see that, you know, how the story is kind of very simple in a way, but the intensity is still all there and, and just learn some things and techniques and stuff. You know, for example, uh, Ridley Scott did a lot of the, I think just about all the handheld camera work. And there's a lot of it in Alien. He he did pretty much all of that. So, uh, and he even worked the little chest burster when you see him there, you know, he moved him around and it's just so well done. I mean, I, again, uh, hats off to everyone involved in the first film. And uh, let's get into uh, the next one. Like uh, Mark said, payback time, aliens. Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back, but to wipe them out. That's the plan. All right, people, on the ready line. Hi to me! Yeah! Hi to me! course there is the trailer to the next uh, movie in the franchise of the alien series aliens which came out in the summer of in july of 1986 but uh, i just realized i forgot to mention a couple of things about alien that i wanted to say uh first was it, it was another one of those movies like star wars the first star wars film that was a very hard sell to find a studio for it 20th century fox which eventually was the one that uh said okay to the movie and, and produced it uh, was originally turned it down because they felt it was very bloody and just too violent and and too intense and they didn't want it so but they were convinced eventually to go with it and you know happy now I'm sure that they did uh and the other thing about that movie Ridley Scott uh wanted a much darker kind of nastier ending to it he actually in the original ending for alien was going to have the alien kill ripley actually bite her head off basically 
and uh, the studio was not uh, happy. They they felt like everything that that uh, Ripley had gone through to just at the end be killed by the alien would have been just a little too dark, and I think wisely so. I mean, I can understand that idea that this thing is just unstoppable, but I I think that uh, I think it was a lot better of a movie for having Ripley be able to survive uh, its uh, or her. Um, uh, situation there and and kill the alien and and then survive and and then obviously she takes a big part in the next sequels the the three sequels that uh, she has been in that they did follow up this with so aliens 1986 uh big change and you know uh, quite a long time actually that from the the time that the first movie came out you know about seven years later which is uh, uh you know, for a sequel to a movie, typically two, three, four, five years, maybe at the most, but seven years later, especially a fairly popular movie. I, and uh, I'm trying to still find out exactly why. I'm not finding a lot of good information about why it took so long to get another movie going. But uh, as I play clips, I'm still flipping through some online references, and maybe I'll find a little something. Of course, Ripley, uh, uh, Sigourney Weaver's character, is the only one that survived, uh, uh, only person that survived. The cat survived, too. But, uh, you know, is uh, is the only one that survives uh, to make and, and uh, then be reappearing in the next movie. A big difference in this movie, obviously, this is a this is kind of a war movie. You know, it's it's us against them. Uh, a group of Marines go to this planet to to kill these aliens uh, to LV uh, four two six with this dropship. Uh, Ripley's along for the ride to kind of advise them, which just to go back to a place that has these things after everything she went through is just crazy when you think about it. Uh, this movie, the the you know one of the biggest major differences is, of course, it's directed by James Cameron. Now, James Cameron at the time uh, he worked on Aliens was not nearly the force and uh, you know the the star that he is these days in Hollywood. He had done a couple of good movies. He had done the first Terminator movie. He had done uh, Rambo, the the second uh, Rambo movie, First Blood, you know, and and knew his way his way around special effects, knew how to make a movie. But when he came on board and during basically the whole experience of making Aliens, the crew, uh, they just weren't behind him. The crew, the cameraman, uh, he actually replaced uh, one of the main Marine guys, the guy Michael Bean's character, Bean, how do you say his name, Bean, I think? Michael Bean's character uh, of Hicks, uh, he replaced him. James Remar was going to be that Marine uh, in the movie to begin with. And he was replaced after some creative differences with Cameron. Uh, it just was not a very pleasant experience. Very difficult for James Cameron to get this movie made. The the like I said, the crew and the behind the scenes folks weren't really behind him. They thought he was a very poor substitute for Ridley Scott. Uh, they weren't on his side. He even tried to show them uh, the first Terminator movie to give them an idea of you know the kind of movie that he could make. But the that didn't go over very well, and they refused. So uh, I really, it's it's just interesting and amazing to me that he that a, such a great uh, and a, just great movie in sci-fi history came out of such kind of a difficult working experience. Maybe there's something to that. Maybe you kind of strive to do even better sometimes under the those kind of circumstances. But uh, anyway, let's play a clip early on in Aliens. How long was I out there? Has no one discussed this with you yet? No, but I mean, I don't recognize this place. No, I know. Uh, okay. 
It's just that uh, this might be a shock to you. It's long. How long? Please. 57 years. What? That's the thing. You were out there for 57 years. What happened was you had drifted right through the core systems, and it's really just blind luck that a deep salvage team found you when they did. It's one in a thousand, really. I think you're damn lucky to be alive, kiddo. You could be floating out there forever. Yeah, so Ripley was out there frozen a lot longer than, uh, you know, she originally thinks when she wakes up there. Let me give you some background. I did some more checking while I was playing that clip about the, the history of this movie and, and the, the time lag a little bit. It, it looks like even though the original Alien movie made about $100 million, 20th Century Fox still didn't think that was quite enough to justify a sequel, which doesn't make any sense exactly to me. But uh, James Cameron, though, was very impressed by that movie. He worked on the script uh, and the storyline for uh, the the second one, you know, for Aliens, uh, while he was working on the Terminator movie. And the, the story goes that when he talked to 20th Century Fox, who was also uh, doing Terminator, that they basically told him, that if the Terminator movie was a success, that they would let him direct a sequel movie, the Aliens movie, that he wanted to do. Uh, and again, so he basically had them. When Terminator turned out to be a big uh, hit, uh, they said, okay, go ahead and do it. Uh, and he didn't want to make a movie that was you know, just uh, similar in any way as much as he could change something you know, in making a sequel, but he wanted to make it quite a bit of a different movie than the first one. And again, very wise choice. You don't want to remake something and just do the same thing again. Uh, you know, his idea for this one was that it was going to be basically a war movie. It was going to be us against them. Uh, they were going to go out and take the fight to them, but of course realize that they were were overmatched. And a lot of this movie is is based around these tough Marines realizing really what they're up against and Ripley telling them, that you know, you guys have no idea what you're going to get into and have to deal with, and all of your training and your equipment and your weaponry uh, don't matter. It's it's what you know and what you can deal with, and 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 how you can figure out a way to survive and kill these things before they kill you. So, uh, again, very different movie, and I and I like the way they did that. Uh, there was a little bit of a dispute over uh, some payment issues and stuff too, and they actually almost didn't do uh, a movie with Ripley again. They, uh, 20th Century Fox, there was some kind of uh, you know, dispute. There's always some kind of contract dispute or lawyers get involved or whatever. And uh, they said they told Cameron to write Ripley out of the movie, write her out of Aliens, but uh, he refused. He says, work it out. Uh, he, he said that uh, she belongs in this movie, and he was very instrumental in getting things to, you know, smooth things out between Fox and Sigourney Weaver, so she ends up in this, who she always kind of nicknamed, nicknamed the movie and herself as Rambolina. Uh, you know, of course, Cameron did the Rambo film, and this is a very, you know, action-packed movie, and, uh, you know, she's running around with big guns and, you know, charges and things blowing up and, and all kinds of stuff like that. So uh, it's a fun movie to watch. It's a, it's a roller coaster, and it's great. A uh, great group of cast, uh, casting again for this. And uh, let's have another clip. Fall back. Kevin, fall back. Fall back, goddammit, now! Kevin, fall back. Cut off! Do something! Fuck! Oh, 
Yeah, that's a great scene and obviously features the the fantastic music by James Horner, who, of course, worked on Star Trek uh, uh, Wrath of Khan, like Mark pointed out. Uh, very similar music. I, I've gotten used to the, this, you know, the fact that it's so much like uh, the Wrath of Khan music. It fits the movie so well. It just, you know, the very just militaristic sort of tone to it and everything. Again, that clip there is, is when the movie really gets... Uh, cooking when Ripley takes kind of charge because Gorman, that uh, kind of green lieutenant, is, is losing his men and just doesn't know how to deal with the situation. But of course, Ripley does. She's dealt with at least one alien before, so she knows what to do. Burst in there with her big, uh, you know, this this armored vehicle uh, and, and save everyone that she can. Uh, an interesting uh, fact is the people, most of the cast that played the Marines actually went to some special training for a couple of weeks with uh, a special air service unit in Britain uh, that does elite operations. They trained for a couple of weeks with them, uh, with the exception of Gorman, that Lieutenant Burke, Paul Reiser's character, and Ripley. They didn't go to this special training, and uh, James Cameron wanted to do this because he felt like getting the, the actors together who played the Marines and having them go through this training would sort of bond them and make them more like uh, the characters they were having to play on the movie and in, on screen. And they kept the other actors away from that situation because they were kind of the outsiders on the mission anyway uh, when they went to this colony planet and uh, to, to try to, you know, track down these aliens and everything. So, uh that uh, that was a really cool move, I thought, and an interesting way to handle things. Another uh, comment or note about the score for this by James Horner. I guess uh, the story is that it goes they Cameron and James Horner really had a problem when they did this movie. Horner did not feel he was given anywhere near enough time to write a complete score to a movie of this scope and, and length and size. So uh, he he admits freely that he had to sort of cannibalize certain elements of his scores to both The Wrath of Khan and The Search for Spock for this film. Uh, they really didn't get along because of that, and it was a very tense situation between Cameron and Horner. And he kind of vowed, Horner did, that he would never work together with him again with Cameron. But uh, James Cameron really enjoyed uh, Horner's scores on later movies like Braveheart, and uh, so he hired him to do his score for Titanic, which, of course, went on to great success and was a wise move on James Horner's part. And uh, they are actually collaborating again on the uh, movie coming up later this year uh, in December, James Cameron's movie Avatar. Uh, Horner is working the score for that. So I'm kind of happy about that. You know, but, uh, you know, it's an explanation for why these scores uh, sound so much alike. What about the colony transmitters, the uplink tower down at the other end? Why can't we use No, them? I checked. The, the hardware in between here and there was damaged. We can't align the dish. Well, somebody's going to have to go out there. Take a portable terminal, go out there and patch in manual. Oh, yeah, sure. With those things running around, you can count me out. 
Yeah, I guess we I'll can go. just count you out of everything. That's right, man. Hey, why don't you go, man? What? I'll go. I mean, I'm the only one qualified to remote pilot the ship anyway. Yeah, right, man. Bishop should go. Good idea. Believe me, I'd prefer not to. I may be synthetic, but I'm not stupid. Yeah, good scene there. Uh, you know, again, a great cast. Michael Bean as uh, Hicks. Uh, we've got Lance Henriksen as Bishop uh, speaking there. Sigourney Weaver, of course. And uh, Bill Paxton as Hudson, Private Hudson, you know, who's like, you know, has that classic line in this movie, game over, man. And he's always calling everyone man. And he's kind of like, he acts like a tough guy kind of at the beginning, but this is obviously too much for him uh, and uh, really uh, overwhelms him. So uh, it, it's just, again, uh, great casting, people that have gone on and done a lot of great things. Bill Paxton especially has had a long, really great career in a lot of movies and shows. So uh, it, it's just fun to see them in some of their early roles and, and how they uh, they did in this movie. I forgot to say earlier, this movie was uh, only uh, spent, or they only spent about, uh, budget for it was about $18 million, made about $130 million at the box office. Believe it or not, even though all the aliens uh, that you see running around in this movie, they only made about six alien suits again for uh, filming this uh, particular uh, movie in the franchise, in the alien franchise, which is kind of amazing to me. They really make it look like a lot more. A uh, few other uh, things I wanted to mention. There's a lot of references and, and similarities to this film, uh, to the uh, cool Heinlein uh, sci-fi novel called Starship Troopers, which I know was, of course, also made into a film uh, much later than Aliens. But there are very much similarities. You know, there are these troopers. They have drop ships, the kind of weaponry and suits that they wear and all of that. So if you ever get a chance, Jeff, you know, check out that book, read Starship Troopers. Even if you've seen the movie, uh, well worth reading that. It's a classic of sci-fi and uh, a lot of things, elements in both these films in Aliens and Starship Troopers, of course, come from uh, that book. And I really like the character that Lance Henriksen plays in this movie, too, Bishop. He is very different than uh, the Ian Holm uh, synthetic uh, human from Alien. Of course, you think he's maybe not such a good guy and he's kind of a bad guy throughout Aliens. But, of course, that would have been very easy to just make him another uh, kind of tool or, or uh, being used by this Wayland yutani company uh, and uh, against the people aboard uh, the ship that was out there, they, uh, it would have been easy, again, to, like I basically said, to make uh, Lance's character, Bishop, a bad guy. And he kind of helps at the very end. He really helps save the day a little. And I like that. I like they turn things around on you. And, uh, you know, here in the movie, too, many of the actors James Cameron likes to work with uh, appear in this movie, Bill Paxton, Lance Henriksen's character, Bishop, Michael Bean. Uh, you know, the, these are guys he likes to work with. He enjoys them, so he puts them in his movies. There's a lot of directors that kind of do that kind of thing. They, they have people that uh, they enjoy working with, so, hey, why not cast them? Ripley. I don't want to hear about it, Bishop. She's alive. There's still time. In 19 minutes, this area is going to be a cloud of vapor the size of Nebraska. Hicks, don't let them leave. We ain't going anywhere. See you, Hicks. Dwayne. It's Dwayne. Ellen. Don't be gone long, Ellen.
Another interesting thing about this film is many of the Marines, not all of them, not Hicks, for example, not, uh, I don't think, uh, Bill Paxton's character, not, uh, and a couple others, but most of them, their real first names are the first names of the Marines as well, although most of the time everyone's calling everyone by the last name, so you don't really pick that up. Uh, another fact about this movie, they kind of used a slight bluish lighting uh, on the set to when they filmed it to give it sort of a different, weird an alien kind of look, uh, and I think it works pretty well. It, it's pretty subtle, but you, you notice it if you know about it, and, and I think if you watch it, uh, you know, it's a pretty common thing to do, especially in sci-fi films, to kind of just slightly angle the type of wavelength of lights that they use on the set to give them a sort of different, otherworldly kind of look. Um, what else? Uh, it's just a fantastic movie, great follow-up to the Alien film. I like uh, the character of uh, Ripley a lot, maybe even more. You know, she's much more fleshed out, and I think that's one of the reasons that Sigourney jumped aboard and did another Alien movie. Uh, and the, a lot of that has to do with her relationship with this little girl they find, Newt. And, and this movie is about, you know, kind of being a mother a little bit, and, of course, she runs into and has to kill the, the mother uh, of the aliens, the queen uh, who lays the eggs and all that stuff. Uh, they have to fight it out at the end, which is a cool scene, great stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, Ripley's character and her relationship with Newt and her protectiveness, and you heard in that last clip where she's going back to rescue the little girl, is very important, I think. It makes her not soft, but more human. And this is a human story, you know, of, of humans versus aliens and what makes us what we are and what we'll risk for other, you know, other people, other characters. And I think that's very important. And it's one of the reasons why I really don't like, especially the first part of the next movie, Alien 3, where, where um, spoiler alert, you know, these movies have been out a long time, so I'm not even sure why I'm saying that. But uh, Newt dies. You know, she doesn't survive when they pick him up uh, out there floating frozen again. She's she's already, like, gone, which just annoyed me a lot about that. I mean, here, Sigourney's character Ripley goes through so much in Aliens to save Newt, to rescue her, to bring her, and, uh, you know, I've got a clip or two left still to play for this movie, but I, I was just very disappointed in that fact of uh, the other ones. But I'll talk about those real briefly here in a moment. Uh, let's play another clip. from her, you bitch! details i've got one last clip for this one to play uh just uh, again a very 
you know, on-set real uh, type of movie. They tried to create many of the effects and the action and all of that on, on stage and on set. It took about 10 months to film at Pinewood Studios in uh, the U.K., uh, a lot of the weapons the Marines are using are based on real weaponry that were just sort of modified a little bit, kind of like they did with Star Wars. Uh, what else? Uh, the um, the fact that the Alien Queen is kind of blown out an airlock and, and killed in almost the same way as the, la- the alien in the first movie is kind of repetitive a little, but I, I think it makes sense. I mean, how else can you get rid of something like that, to, you know? They do kill a lot by blowing them up and shooting them and stuff in this movie, but uh, for the big one at the end, I thought it was kind of, it made sense, and there's that scene, you know, where they're in the airlock together, and the alien's kind of hanging onto uh, Ripley's ankle and eventually falls off. Uh, good stuff uh, about, a, 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 or to end the uh, to film with. Here's the kind of epilogue bit with uh, Newt and Ripley. Are we going to sleep all the way home? All the way home. Can I dream? Yes, honey. I think we both can. <laughs> Sleep tight. High affirmative. A few final thoughts and comments about this movie about aliens. Uh, it did very well, of course, at the box office. They've had a couple of other editions, special editions, directors' editions, all that other junk, uh, you know, extra clips and things for this film you can find on DVD. Uh, Sigourney Weaver was actually nominated for Best Actress, uh, which was a, a pretty big milestone, not just for uh, for a science fiction movie, but the fact she, a female for Best Actress in a science fiction movie is kind of unheard of, and, and it was kind of a big, momentous step. She didn't she didn't win for the year for uh, in 1986, but I thought that was pretty important to point out uh, that uh, for a science fiction movie and kind of an action movie that she got nominated for an Academy Award as well. So uh, I'll be talking about the other Alien films very, very briefly in a moment, but here's another uh, comment from a listener. This one's from Brian about the Alien movie franchise. Hey, Rico, it's Brian. Just wanted to give you a couple comments regarding the Alien movies. I'm so glad that you're doing a review of those on the podcast this week. Alien is, without a doubt, one of my all-time favorite films. Uh, When I was a kid, I was 11 when Alien came out. I remember being 10 the year before it came out, and a lot of the the books and promotional materials started to sort of hit the stores. And I remember being in a Walden Books, and I picked up the heavy metal comic version of Alien, as well as the paperback written by Alan Dean Foster. And I read them and I was just so intrigued by the film, but I knew I wouldn't be able to see it because it was going to be rated R. Um, They also came out with a photo book of the entire movie, basically in photographs uh, with the script attached. And so I devoured that. AMT came out with a model of the alien and I became alien obsessed. Uh, it It was just... I don't know what it was about the, the movie. I was just so so into the whole look, the whole design, and the whole the whole story. Even though I never I never saw the movie until about a year or two later when it finally came out on uh, VHS. Oh no, excuse me, on Betamax. 
And a friend of mine who had a Betamax player was able to, to get it, and we were able to watch it for the first time. Alien is, in my mind, one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. The, the Alien itself was a source of endless fascination and terror for me. And I think it's a real credit to Ridley Scott and the way that the, and to H.R. Giger, the designer, uh, for the way the alien was portrayed in the film, where you never really saw it, it really heightened the tension, and it was so bizarre. It was so unusual. It was so alien. Um, I remember looking at my model of the alien, going, "Why does it have this part here? And what is it? What does this do?" And it was so. It just fascinated me to no end. Um, and I just, I just devoured any and all information about the movie uh, as after it came out. And that was sort of my problem. I loved Aliens. Um, I thought it was terrific. I thought it was exciting. It was a blast. And my only problem with Aliens was that they really changed the way that the alien itself interacted with its environment. They made them very fast-moving and very exciting to watch on the screen. But it removed a lot of the scariness and the mystery for me. And granted, Cameron was making an action film, whereas Scott was making more of a horror film. But... I wish they had gotten... I wish any new iterations of Alien that might come down the pike from Ridley Scott, I hope he gets back to that very bizarre and just incredibly otherworldly aspect that made the alien creature itself so amazing. I think Ridley Scott, from a visual standpoint, just needs so much credit uh, for not only Alien and Blade Runner, which are two films that really took uh, the Star Wars broken-down universe idea and brought it to our culture and to our world um, the Nostromo as a ship is uh, is a character onto itself in the movie and he really lets shots linger over the darkness and, and the dirtiness and the grittiness of the ship and it, it, becomes, uh, it becomes part of the story as much as the creature does and as much as the characters do and what a great group of characters uh, Scott got together to play the truckers in space um, you know, I, I understand that a lot of the scenes were shot without even being scripted. Um, really, Scott would just put them together, say, in the, in the mess hall and just have them interact. And you can really see that. It comes across in the movie in a, in a form of realism that I think you, you wouldn't have gotten if the film had been more scripted and more structured. Um, so anyway, awesome films. Glad, can't wait to hear what you have to say about them. And uh, again, some of my all-time favorites. Take care, bud. Well, thanks very much, Brian. Uh, yeah, I agree with all of your comments. You brought up some really interesting points, and uh, it's interesting to see how much you were into it even before you had had a chance to see the movie. Yeah, I always forget about you know since I was able to see it uh, when it came out, uh, you know that the fact that this was rated R, which you know R-rated movies in that era were were not as common as they are now, and they certainly were. You know, you had to be a pretty intense, pretty something kind of movie to get an R rating, you know, uh, and uh, the fact that they didn't tone it down, uh, you know, you didn't have at that time. Let me think of, uh, let me think of the timeline or did you have, you know, not when Alien came out, you didn't have the rating of PG-13. PG-13 was started with uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom where they slipped in that uh, rating between PG and R, uh, which I'm, I'm always wondering what, Alien would be rated if it kind of came out now. Would it would it go to uh, PG thirteen or would it be rated R? I don't know. But uh, again, thanks very much for your comments, uh, Brian. I uh, appreciate it uh, always, and it's always good to hear from everyone. I got a couple more to play here in a moment, but I want to briefly touch on the other Alien movies. I don't have anywhere near the time to talk about them in depth, but I'll just give you a couple quick comments. 
Uh, the next one, of course, Alien 3, uh, was very, very different than the other two. And, and all of the movies really have been different from each other. Uh, this, uh, the next one, though, uh, was, was probably the darkest and maybe the most depressing in the franchise. It, it, uh, it, it's set on a, like a colony kind of situation. Ripley, you know, is there. Uh, Newt has died. Uh, it, it's just, uh, it, it's a very dark movie and, uh, again, very different. Uh, that one was directed by David Fincher. That one came out in 1992. It still did pretty okay. It cost about $50 million and made about $150 million. So, but I, it's not my cup of tea. I, it's, it's okay. I don't, you know, really superly dislike the movie or anything like that. Um, and then the next one, Alien Resurrection, was the fourth movie and the only, you know, the one that still featured Sigourney Weaver. Of course, she dies in, you know, spoiler alert, <laughs> in in Alien 3, right? So uh, here she's sort of resurrected. She's been cloned. And, uh, you know, this movie, uh, again, quite a bit different. Uh, the director of this one is Jean-Pierre Genot and came out in 97, cost about $70 million. Uh, made about 160 million. You know, these movies were still interesting, still okay to see, but uh, to me, they're still not quite anywhere near up to the level of the first two films. Uh, I don't, again, mind them. I don't like hate them or anything. And then, of course, we've had a couple of Alien versus Predator movies, which are frankly pretty weak movies. Both of them not all that great. I've seen them all, but. Uh, Again, not probably worth talking a lot about. Maybe someday I'll do a follow-up. And the big news, of course, these days, and one of the reasons that this idea of doing a podcast about aliens came to me and what I wanted to do is that uh, the scoop right now these days is that Ridley Scott is aboard to do another alien movie, which is supposed to be some kind of a prequel movie uh, that he's going to be working on. And I don't know anything really much on detail or timing, but... That, I guess, is fairly confirmed that that's going to happen. So it would be interesting to see, after our you know 30-plus years, what really Scott would be doing with uh, another Alien movie for the franchise. So with all that said, uh, I'm going to turn over this now to another clip from, uh, I believe this is Tim, although uh, this is from Tim in uh, the U.K. His comment here is the volume is kind of off and kind of low i'll i'll do what i can to clean it up and boost it up but uh we will see how this goes but i will play it it's about a five minute uh a clip uh with his comments about aliens so listen to this hi there rico it's uh tim here from brighton and um just wanted to send you this comment about um alien and aliens i've been having a bit of a marathon tonight uh it's now 11 o'clock almost and I've watched both Alien and Aliens and I'm having to keep my voice slightly quieter because the kids are in bed now but um, I wanted to watch both of these films so I could just send in this uh, audio comment for you Uh, looking back uh, I was far too young to be watching Alien when I first saw it I must have been about 11 or 12 and um, I remember my dad at the time telling me that he watched this with a group of friends at the cinema when it first came out and um, he said that up until this time horror movies mainly consisted of the Hammer House of Horror movies back in the late 60s and early 70s and that this movie was so different he said that up until this point there was nothing like it and he told me that people were literally screaming their shock and fear at the cinema and um 
I'd say that even till up to today, that that um, it's still a very scary movie after what is it, late 70s, 80s? You know, it's, it's 30 years old, isn't it? Something like that. Uh, the original Alien. Um, so as I say, I watched it again tonight for the first time in years, and I was very surprised at how early Dallas died, the captain. I thought this bloke was going to be one of the heroes of the movie, but they dispensed of him pretty quickly. Uh, but I do remember wanting the alien to hurry up and finish Lambert. I couldn't stand that character, always moaning and screaming she was. She got on my nerves a little bit. Just a, a little fact you've, you've probably covered tonight. That shocking scene with John Hurt where they're all eating and the alien comes through the stomach. Uh, the, the, the director, he actually didn't tell anybody else, with the exception of John Hurt, that that was going to happen. So all the reactions on the actors' faces there are genuine, but as I said, you probably covered that. So it doesn't really come as much of a surprise, does it, to you guys? But the biggest shock the biggest shock for me in that movie, the first Alien, was uh, when Ash went completely nuts. And... Um, he got smacked on the back of the head and he just went completely gaga. I don't remember any point in that movie before then anybody stating that he was an android. And um, I thought all that white stuff coming out of him was down to the fact that he drank so much milk. Uh, but obviously not. He was a robot. The best moment for me? <laughs> I can't believe No. Well, no, I'm not even going to say that. Yes, I am. The best moment as a kid watching that film. Sigourney in her underwear. I was a young lad. Come on. You can't hold that against me. But now watching it, you just don't see it in a in a, um, sort of titillating way, do you? Uh, like I did when I was watching it back at 12 years old. So then afterwards, I watched Aliens. The director's edition, which was two hours and thirty-seven minutes, and this for me was when Ripley really got tough. And um, up until you know, the, the last sort of five years, uh, Aliens was one of my favourite films of all time, certainly in the top three, anyway. Uh, and I love the action. And Ripley for me is the alpha female in cinema history, really. The line when she says, "Get away from her, you bitch." And she fights the Queen Alien in that loader. Absolutely brilliant. And as I said, I loved it again tonight as well. Uh, it was just as good as when I first saw that. One thing I noticed, and I don't know if anybody else will notice this, um, but in the director's cut of Aliens, there's a lot more backstory to Newt with her character and her family. In fact, there's a scene where you see her and her family and her parents actually find the alien ship on planet something V something something I can't remember what it's called and they leave her and her brother in the um, little rover thing and they go and explore the ship themselves and for some reason I was reminded of Seven of Nine in Voyager um, was it Annika uh, her story was the fact that her parents had gone out exploring and um been assimilated and um, I was struck at the similarity between the two and I, and I sat there wondering if it, if it had anything to do with uh, the storyline of Voyager 
Probably not, it's just me being a geek and trying to connect things that have no links at all, so uh, please forgive me. Anyway, I've been going on for far too long. Rico, I'm glad you've done Aliens and Alien. And probably the other two. I haven't seen the other two for many, many years since they first came out, and I don't really care for them that much. And, and as for AVP, you can keep that. Anyway, I'm going on too much now. Um, I'm tired. I'm going to bed now. It's 11 o'clock. I'm loading this up to you. Thank you for covering this, and uh, I'll speak with everybody soon. Cheerio, bye. Thanks very much, Tim, for your comments. Uh, yeah, now I know why you're keeping your voice down because of your kids. Quite understandable. Uh, and you brought up some great points. I, I can't say enough how much it's great to hear from everyone and their opinions about different topics and subjects and about aliens this week. Uh, and everyone has just a slightly different thing to bring out, and I, I really enjoy that. I hope every week people can send in comments because it really makes the podcast a lot more well-rounded than just me going on for you know an hour and a half or whatever. Uh, one thing you brought out, Tim, that I yeah I, I remember it now too, and, and uh, it caught me off guard was the yeah with Dallas dying so uh, early on uh, when they the alien finally starts to uh, you know wipe people out in the first movie that really got to me too because the, the here he's the head guy he's the captain of the ship and bang he's gone they kill him you know very unexpected and, and very against type you know hey he's the captain he's the head guy he's the tough guy he should stick around take out the alien you know kiss the girl save the day and all that but he doesn't do that they they you know ridley and i don't know how they decided who was going to die when and how they were going to die you know that would be an interesting conversation to hear sometime maybe it's on some commentary at some point it probably is i should do i should do that someday sit down and watch alien with the uh director commentary on uh but um yeah him dying like that was very interesting and uh and i also like your comments about uh, ash and uh and your comments about sigourney in her underwear <laughs> yeah you know if you're kind of a, as they say a red-blooded guy i can't imagine you you would you know, not remember as that being uh, one of your favorite scenes from Alien. But uh, anyway, thanks again, Tim, for your comments about both those movies. I really appreciate it. Some great things. Uh, we've got one more, but I'm going to kind of sign off the podcast, and I'm going to play his comments because he's got a song for us. Of course, it's Rick Moyer talking about Alien and Aliens and a nice song uh, that he did, which I can't thank him enough for doing those for uh, the show and the podcast. Always great to hear from him. Uh, I, I do want to end the show, though, kind of for my voice at least, and thank everyone for sending in comments. I hope you've enjoyed listening this week uh, to this long discussion about the Alien movies. I hope I covered some things, maybe brought up some points that you hadn't known about, and uh uh, just get you interested to check these out again and maybe share them with people that you uh, know that maybe have never seen them, family, friends, whoever, uh, scare your wives, your girlfriends, your boyfriends, whatever. Uh, again, great set of movies, and I'm really looking forward to seeing another one by Ridley Scott at some point in time. So next week will be, uh, I think it is the special show about Trek fan films I'm doing next week on a Treks in Sci-Fi, and that's going to be a video cast. I think that is what's coming up on the schedule. Uh, that's all, folks. Thanks for listening, and, and stand by here. You will hear Rick's comments next and his song to take us out uh, for this week's edition of Treks in Sci-Fi. Here's Rick, and I'm out. Hey, Rico, this is Rick Moyer from Aberdeen, and I wanted to say thanks for reviewing the Alien franchise. I actually know this sounds kind of crazy, but I've only seen, I think I've seen Aliens, or no, Alien, the first one, and then the only other one I saw was Alien vs. Predator one time. 
and that was it. So I haven't I haven't seen any of the other ones, but I, I do remember fondly watching Alien for the very first time and thinking that it was so scary. And you know, up to that point, there wasn't movies made quite like that. It was just really different and very hardcore sci-fi and scary a horror film at the same time and i kind of like my some of my favorite stuff in there was seeing the android and that was just kind of grody and gross and it creeped me out and uh especially the end there when uh the whole surprise happens and the alien's still alive uh, it was a scary movie and wow that was just something to behold uh recently watched it again it was on tv and edit watched the edited version and Remembered why I like this show so much. My wife hated it, so, you know, that's how it goes. So I decided to do a parody song. Um, you know, the Bee Gees have, have sung Staying Alive, and I thought that was very appropriate, so I didn't change the name of the parody. It's called Staying Alive, but, of course, it has a little different twist to it. So enjoy this, and uh, hope everybody enjoys Staying Alive. And uh, thanks, Rico, again, for all you do. Trex and Sci-Fi rocks. Here you go. This is Staying Alive. Completely enclosed, and it's full of leathery objects like eggs or something. Well, you can tell by the way our ship is docked. I'm a space explorer, astronaut. Space is cold and the suit is warm, but check it out, could be a life form. Venture in, it's okay. Turn on the light and look this way. Big statue and crazy sound. There's a big cavern underground. Being chased by another or an alien mother. You're staying alive, staying alive. See the slime dripping and the people all slipping. And we're staying alive, staying alive. High, 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 high. Staying alive, staying alive. I try, 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 try. Staying alive. Well, now it's over my head and over my eyes. Attached to my face, I'm just a guy. Coming to dinner with an ache in my gut. A bloody C-section, junior pops with a cut. You know it's real gross, it's scary. Another crew made for us to bury. We can't run, we can't hide. But while those teeth and the ones inside Be chased by another or an alien mother We're staying alive, staying alive See the slime dripping and the people all slipping And we're staying alive, staying alive I, 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 I Staying alive, staying alive Try, 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 staying alive. 
Ripley? Yes. Close all the hatches behind Ship's going nowhere. Somebody help me. Somebody help me, yeah. We now have one minute to abandon ship's I should reach the frontier in about six weeks. With a little luck, the network will pick me up. This is Ripley, last survivor of the Nostromo. Signing off. You've been listening to Treks in Sci-Fi with Rico Dosti. Copyright 2009, all rights reserved. TrexInSciFi.com